Hello, this is Sport and the Feels in association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. My name is Jonathan Overend and I'm lucky enough to have been to four Olympic Games in my lifetime. Nothing will ever come close to working and attending my home Olympic Games in my home city of London. 2012 was truly special. For all the amazing sport we were able to watch, and I was fortunate to be on centre court when Andy Murray won his amazing gold medal, dismantling Roger Federer in that straight sets final. And then a few days later, inside XL Arena, as Britain really got into its Taekwondo, and Jay Jones from Flint in North Wales won gold in the Korean martial art. But if I think back to 2012, there's one night which sticks in the memory, and it, it wasn't necessarily a sporting night. It was that extraordinary night of the opening ceremony. And that's what we're going to concentrate on this edition. It's the Wonder episode. Isles of Wonder was the name of the opening ceremony. It was Danny Boyle's remarkable vision, of course. But it was brought to life by the man who's coming on the pod today. And we've been looking forward to speaking to him from, from the moment he agreed to do it. Uh, it's amazing he has agreed to do it because he's so, so busy in his chosen field where he's absolutely the go-to guy. Mark Pugach is with me as well for this episode. And I know you're really looking forward to this as well, Mark. Well, I, I, to be at an opening ceremony is always really good fun. But they, they're obviously very different. I remember very clearly in Sydney... And they, they took the mickey out of themselves. We had prawns on bikes and we had Kylie Minogue and that sort of stuff. Uh, Beijing was beautiful. I didn't understand a lot of it, but it wasn't for me. It was for the Chinese audience. So when it came to London 2012, I deliberately didn't go to it. I didn't want to know about anything in advance because I was there working on it and I wanted to experience it as you did, as everybody did at home. And it absolutely blew my mind with its originality, with its creativity, with its humour, with its history. So to speak to the man that we're going to who was responsible for, for the TV direction of it all will be really fascinating. Well, that's right, because here's the thing about London. Previous opening ceremonies had been run by the organising committees. They were they were shows, weren't they? They were they were choreographed, but it was kind of a couple of hours of look how amazing our, our country is. Here's how many fireworks and, and lights and dancers and ribbons and special effects we can throw into a couple of hours to basically sell our Olympic Games to the world. But when we were watching it in another country, we were watching a scattering of cameras around the stadium showing it like you would show a football match or like you would show a state occasion. Where London was different was the TV element of it. The live directing on the night was absolutely fundamental to the event itself. Make no mistake, this was a made-for-TV event. It was planned to precision and perfection. It was meticulously choreographed, not just in terms of the performers, but in terms of the cameras, in terms of the runners, in terms of the stunt people, in terms of the extras, and as you're about to hear, in terms of the behind-the-scenes direction. Because the man in the chair on the night wasn't Danny Boyle, it was Danny Boyle's vision, but the man who directed it on the night... We welcome him to the pod right now. He's Hamish Hamilton. Hamish, you've done so many things before you came to London. Can you just put it in in the context for everybody when it comes to the global stars and, of course, Super Bowls, what what you came into London with behind you? You know, well, coming into London, I was a director who specialised in live events, I guess, around the world, predominantly 
um, music. I think I'd done an Oscars ceremony then. I think I'd done a couple of Super Bowl halftime shows. I don't know, probably 10 Brit Awards, a few European Music Awards, six or seven Video Music Awards. My goodness, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, so, I mean, that kind of gives you a flavour, doesn't it? I'm a guy who sits in a truck and, you know, talks a lot and waves his arms around and generally kind of like, you know... Um, and that, that, that's the delivery mechanism of it all. But, you know, before that, there's all the kind of the planning of it. But everybody kind of just sees the person in, in this kind of spaceship kind of shouting numbers and instructions but actually that's that's just the final the final furlong really i mean none of us really like sh- shouting about our, our, our achievements in life but i'm just wondering hamish how, i mean how how did you come to be the the go-to guy in this in this industry was there one moment which really sort of turned uh, turned your career on to full speed oh goodness me there were there were lots of moments in i guess in my career that turned me on to kind of full speed i mean i I was pretty ambitious from leaving college, really. And, and, you know, every couple of years, something would happen to me that, and I would think either, wow, I can't believe that door's opened, or wow, I can't believe I kicked that door down, or wow, what a stroke of luck. Um, you know, uh, each couple of years, you would kind of progress, and all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself, actually, I guess, at the Olympic Games in London, my adopted hometown, not quite believing really um, that it was all happening. You know, a guy called Martin Green kind of called me out of the blue. He previously worked for the mayor of London's office. He did all the events and he said, look, you know, I'm putting together the team for the um, for the Olympic Games. Um, everybody says that you're a pretty nice guy and a pretty good director. Uh, we'd like you to be one of the executive producers of the of the event. And I was like, you know, pick me up off the floor and away away we go. But it was very different, wasn't it? Because this was the first time, and maybe you can explain it to everybody, that you, your production company, uh, Dunna Dusted, came in rather than it would just being the, the broadcast partner or a host broadcaster, actually, to film the opening ceremony for the global television audience. Yes. I mean, without disappearing down a rabbit hole of politics and also (laughs) let me try and explain this the best that I can. So prior to London, the way that the opening ceremonies had been filmed and created was very different. So what happened pre-London was a team of creatives would create a show and they then would present it almost in the final minutes to a team of um, television professionals who were specialists in sport and that team of specialists who were responsible for broadcasting the athletics in the stadium, they, because all their hardware was in the stadium, they would be given the role of capturing, translating the nation's creative for the world. A number of problems with that, in my mind, uh, immediately came to pass. And that's what the plan kind of was in London. And I was like, whoa, 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 that doesn't work, guys. So we, you know, Danny Boyle was engaged, a fantastically creative human being and a filmmaker, right? And actually the pivotal moment in the kind of the evolution of the ceremony for me was the moment I sat down with various members of LOCOG, who were the organising committee for the London Olympic Games, and I said, look, guys, we've got a fantastic Danny Boyle creative here. We've chosen Danny Boyle because 
he created train spotting, visually rich film using lots of clever camera techniques and editing techniques and music. I'm saying what we've got here is a Danny Boyle stage show. And I ask you, right, if you'd got the team who were filming the athletics for the Olympic Games to film Danny Boyle's train spotting, would you have got train spotting? And they go, well, no, that's ridiculous. And I'm not, yeah, exactly. It is ridiculous, but that's what you are suggesting is going <laughs> to happen this time. And you've got Danny Boyle, but you haven't got the Danny Boyle vision. And this is the way that we should be doing it. And so I pitched, you know, myself and Danny working as a partnership to bring his vision to life for the world. And it was a very different way of doing things. It was incredibly political. It was quite fraught with problems. It wasn't behind the scenes pretty, I have to say, but we delivered what we delivered. And I am immensely proud of it. And I have to say, since then, you know, low, um, the IOC have changed the way that they do it. And in Brazil, um, they did it a different way, and I believe uh, that they will, hopefully, in Tokyo uh, next year. So, I mean, I, I, that probably sounds like uh, quite deep. And actually, what I did was I used some of my son's Lego oh, yeah. in a meeting with a lot of kind of mandarins at Lowcock, and I said, look, there is an invisible wall between this creative here and the team that are <laughs> capturing it, depicted by my son's Lego. We need to break down this wall, and we need to create this show as a TV show. So it's not, you know, me and my team coming home, coming in and literally the day of, you know, the dress rehearsal and throwing some cameras at it. It's having Danny and me work together in how we capture this and create this, these scenes for the TV show. You know, because at the end of the day, there's about, I don't know, 80,000 people in in the stadium, but there's a billion people going to watch this. So just, what I mean, what's the one example you would pick out from the show which illustrates what you've, what you've just described? Well, I mean, I mean, the Industrial Revolution scene at the beginning was, I think, a great example of how we, um, you know, we did things... Uh, differently, you know, we placed cameras in places that you know maybe others would not have done. We integrated our steady cams into the kind of choreography and the flow of the show. Uh, you know, the camera people were on the ground in the car park in Dagenham when this show was. Uh, was rehearsed, which again, they never had been in previous Olympic um, opening uh, ceremonies. And I think that, you know, the way that Danny created the story, it wasn't simply going to be close-up shot, wide shot, close-up, wide shot, close-up, wide shot. You know, there was, he, he was trying to create a narrative and, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, 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 to get that narrative in the lens if you've only got one day of rehearsal and you're turning up, you know, and getting all your cameras put into a very big stadium, you know, it's it's hard. And also in things like the lighting and it was, you know, it was a it was a real team effort. Hamish, people quite rightly in our broadcast business say to Jonathan and I, you're just a gob on a stick. You just talk out loud for a living. <laughs> and I'm, I'm perfectly happy to take that, by the way. That's absolutely all we do. What you guys do, and people often say to me, you know, how does television work? How do, how do, and I say, don't ask me, I don't have a clue. I barely got a science O level. How on earth do you start planning for what has to be the most complex thing I'm assuming you've ever done? Is it more complex than the Super Bowl? I don't mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Super Bowl is very different to Olympic opening ceremonies. Yeah. I mean, I mean, talking briefly about Super Bowl, I mean, every, every, every one of 
these shows has a different set of creative challenges. And first of all, you know, it always starts with a great idea and then great people either creating that idea, realizing that idea and, and, and delivering that idea. So a great idea is obviously key and that might sound ridiculous, but that's it. And then, you know, a great idea can get killed in many ways, you know, by apathy, by lack of good people by lack of money so you know it's not you've got to keep that idea going and you've got to make sure that in events of this size that the idea doesn't get buried by crap frankly by people saying no by people saying oh you can't possibly do that by people saying that's just not the way that we do it here and it sounds like you had a bit of that oh mate i mean you know what there's so <laughs> many listen yeah, obviously you know the, you know, money is a big parameter. Time is a big parameter. Safety is a huge parameter. Um, but it's often much easier to say no. And um, you know what, what? What I try and do is 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 always try and re-engage people with the young human, the child inside them, the, the kind of the the person who passionately wanted to get into events or to, to to storytelling or to filmmaking. Do you know what I mean? And so when we're all there facing this impossible problem and we've got you know an hour left and it's pissing down with rain it's like guys okay look you know we could all be doing something very different we are blessed to be doing this job in this incredible venue with this let's go back to basics here let's you know let's find the child inside us with the imagination the joy and that anything we can do anything and the hope and let's solve this problem um but it's ridiculous. Like things are like Super Bowl, and actually, to a you know, to a degree, like uh, uh, um, the Olympic opening ceremony, it all becomes down. A lot of it is about logistics. So on Super Bowl, it's about how big is the tunnel because you have to get a stage onto a field in eight minutes. So you have to break down the stage into chunks that can get through a tunnel. And if there's a goalpost at the end of that tunnel, that might make your tunnel half as wide. Ridiculous. But that's true, right? And then, of course, Super Bowl happens in the middle of a football game. Football games are, you know, way more important in everybody at the NFL's mind than lots of dam the dancers trampling on their grass, right? So obviously the groundsman, it goes back to being a kid again, you know, you can't play football <laughs> on that park. You know, the groundsman yeah. rightly, the groundspeople are rightly kind of very precious about their, their grass. So when Beyonce and 100 dancers come out in their big <laughs> heels, they're like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? And those are the kind Oi, of... Beyonce, <laughs> get off my grass. <laughs> yeah. exactly but then you have to say to the groundsman, excuse me, groundsman, that's Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> but what's brilliant about that, Hamish, just just sorry to interrupt you, um, yeah. you know, that, that example of how big's the tunnel, therefore how big's the stage, how big are the pieces of the stage, that, that really strikes to the heart of this, doesn't it? Because the whole what comes first thing, because presumably so much of what Danny wanted to achieve with the creative vision and what you wanted to achieve with the live direction of it depended on so many different things, which could have been vetoed at any moment, depending on size, availability, blah, weather, blah, 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 blah. So, so how, do you, how do you contend with all I that mean, going on at once? There's lots of great people work on these shows, honestly. Most of the problems that were faced on the show had been faced before, you know. Um, but there were a few unique ones, things like the grass in the opening scene. You know, the first, you know, Danny was absolutely insistent that it had to be real grass, okay, for many reasons. And everybody was like, look, Danny, let's use AstroTurf, because if it rains, we're going to be screwed, because that grass is going to be really heavy and really soft. And the first time we rehearsed it with grass, it took like, I don't know, four and a half hours to get off. I mean, it was ridiculous um, how long it took these people to get the grass off. 
And everybody was like, look, we are never going to get this down from four and a half hours to, I don't know, a minute and 30 seconds in the three weeks that we have left. Please, can we use AstroTurf? And, you know, and, and, and Danny, you know, was like, no. You know, eventually, obviously, it happened. And thankfully, it, it didn't rain. You work around and, you, you know, you've got to come up with some fairly ingenious solutions and a lot of it is down to people and people working together and that's the other thing about these big shows again Super Bowl or Olympics is you know there were so many amazing volunteers who worked together as a team and that's also part of the joy of it is you know what huge teams of people can create together when they come together and they put differences and ego and you know you're all working to a common purpose. You're listening to Sport in the Fields in association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB. I'm Jonathan Overend alongside Mark Pugach, and we're in conversation with Hamish Hamilton, who was the live director on the night of the London 2012 opening ceremony. We want to get a bit deeper into some of the ceremony's most iconic moments. Hamish, there are so many things we could ask you individually, but Jonathan and I, I know, are intrigued by Rowan Atkinson's finger. Can you talk us through the uh, the close-up of that and the thinking behind that? Well, that, that Hamish, is almost a, a great example, isn't it, of your your description, the whole made-for-TV element, because presumably that the, one of the reasons why that whole sequence worked so successfully was the initial TV close-up. Yes. I mean, and again, you know, honestly, I would love to take credit for all the shots and, and why they were there. But again, big team of people rowing very specific about what makes his character and his comedy work. And um, also involved was a director who Rowan works with all the time, a a wonderful gentleman by the name of Jeff Posner. So he obviously brought a huge amount to it as well. And to be frank, it was uh, Rowan uh, and Jeff who really helped me navigate that sequence and, and make it work. You know. So is that is that to say that sort of all the individual sequences within the whole package had its own own team? Were they all dealt with sort of in, in isolation almost? Each of the scenes had choreographers that were were different. Each of the scenes had different kind of creative inputs from different members of different teams. Yes. I mean, overall, obviously, Danny was very much in charge and the Rowan scene because of who Rowan is, was very much... Uh, and because it was very different in flavour. And, you know, comedy is a, is a very precise thing, you know. And as a, as a, as a television director, you, you can really kill comedy very quickly, frankly. Uh, and especially in a, in a scene uh, like the one that we were talking about. So, again, you know, you, I was just very grateful that, uh, you know, Rowan and uh, Jeff were so forthcoming with what worked and what didn't work. There's a there's a really for people to, to to read more about and see more about what Hamish is talking about. Uh, there's a really interesting sort of eight minutes on YouTube where you're talking about this, and I think you rehearsed in a in a very damp car park in Dagenham, didn't you? Which is ex- great salubrious surroundings to start Dagenham. one of the greatest shows of all time. Yeah, I, I, yes, uh, we spent many uh, many a weekend because it was based on um, volunteer kind of availability. We made, spent many a weekend there, just kind of plotting out mainly the opening scene, but off, off you know all, all, all the scenes. And again, it was you know there was a, a team of people in a in a kind of a tower created out of scaffolding that could look down on everybody with lots of headphones, and we had cameras and stuff up there. It was all very odd. Huge kind of uh, huge tents for rehearsal. If it uh, if indeed the rain got too heavy, 
which it did a number of times. But actually, we ended up, we ended up discovering that actually the interior space wasn't big enough to do some of the scenes. So we even ended up having to do uh, huge amounts in the, in the absolute pouring rain. I kind of remember spending most of my life in a in a poncho, kind of one of those clear plastic ponchos, getting drenched. So that's that's not the bit that I care to remember much about actually. But there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of no. that. No one. No wonder you started with Glastonbury tour then if you're in a wet poncho all the time that's that's very no. glass and reason <laughs> what 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 Hamish what's your favorite bit um wow what's my favorite bit that's that's I tell you actually what my favorite bit is is as the rings come over the roof to to come together and then the final shot of the rings come together the low angle camera that we created a special hole in the stage for camera 32 I think it was it had one shot, the flap opened, you know, it hadn't a couple of times in rehearsal. The flap opened, the camera popped up, tilted up, you know, it's all bits of technology, it's all computer controlled, it's all it's like four or five movements, tilted up. We, we saw the five rings come together, the pyro went on. You know, again, all these things don't always happen, you know, in, in, in Sochi, one of the rings never lit. Um, you know, and our things came on and it was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. But, you know, seeing those rings come over the roof and slowly come towards the centre, I mean, it's just like, I had a tear in my eye, you know. I mean, you're so tired by the time you get to the show and you're so proud. I mean, even now, just thinking about it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I was the person that was chosen to do that. But even, even that amalgamation of the rings told its own story, didn't it? Because they'd been forged yeah. throughout the whole of the Industrial Revolution oh, section. Yeah. It, it was the storytelling even of oh. that amalgamation of the rings which pulled the, the heartstrings. I, mean, I was standing there on the concourse surrounded by all these drummers who'd appeared from nowhere and I just remember thinking, this is, this is it. I mean, it's not going to get much better than this. That concept was, was Danny's and Frank Cottrell Boyce and, and the creative team, you know. I, I had the great pleasure of, of filming it, capturing it, you know, and obviously I had input along the way, but I, I really can't take credit for the, the basic conception of all of that. You know, there's a huge number of... T- I mean, just the, the movement and the, and, the, and the cabling that had to be put up and, you know, tested to get those rings to fly in, and it never really quite worked. But my goodness, what? I mean, honestly, of course I'm a Brit. Of course I'm so connected to kind of industrial revolution. And, you know, all my, all my school days, England's green and pleasant land, I'm like, wow. You know, it was just, even now, just kind of playing it back in my head, I'm like, wow, so proud. I was in a, in a little bunker next to one of the vongs out onto the, out onto the grass, you know, so um, it was amazing. And I, I actually didn't do... You know, the actual parade bit, I didn't do those bit because that's all done by a different team. Oh, yeah, so that's, I just that's the boring that. stuff, Hamish. You don't, want to, you yeah. don't want to worry about that. You know, but no, but what it did allow me to do was to go out into the stadium and, 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 and feel it during the night. It was amazing. You know, you know great days, great, great days. Just a few, just a few quick fire ones, if I may, just because we're, yeah. we're just really interested. I mean, you said camera, camera thirty-two or whatever it was, shot the one shot of the forged rings coming together. I mean, how, how many cameras were there at, at your disposal that night? I actually can't remember how many cameras we Roughly. had. A lot, um, probably. I would say between thirty and forty. Um, right. I mean, we had, we had, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a couple of helicopters, a blimp. A load of remotes. I mean, it's remarkable. We had to close down. I think we closed down City Airport for 
couple of hours because you know we needed all all the stuff in the sky to get all the the shots of the pyros and the the, the you know the kind of the fireworks and stuff so it's quite a big it's quite a big operation it's not just about okay like, let's take the helicopter shot you know what i mean you got to get the helicopter up there you got to get it positioned you got to make sure it's there you know two minutes before the pyro gets off and it has to be there at that point so the airport has to be closed it's like mind-bogglingly difficult to you know, and again, it's just huge teams of great, really talented people, frankly. But and, and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of camera cuts, you know, switching from one to the other over the course of the the, the whole procedure. Did it, and all meticulously choreographed, obviously, as you explained earlier. Did did any shot not work, Hamish, or did they all were they all pulled yeah. off? I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I there were a couple of key shots that I missed. We never noticed. Um, which I still get nightmares. <laughs> well, uh, which well, I really do. Which I really, really upset me. Two key shots, but uh, which I really should have got. But actually, what happened during the uh, again the Industrial Revolution opening scene is that everything started to slip and slide. The grass didn't quite come off in time, so stuff was getting sent from the tunnels in a slightly different timing sequence to those that we had rehearsed. And honestly, talking honestly, and we never did it the same two times running. And honestly, the time that it worked best was the night. And it didn't work perfectly on the night. So, you know, in my defense, I was really on the back foot. And there were a couple of times that I was waiting for things to happen and they didn't happen. And so while in waiting for something to happen that didn't happen, I missed something else. And it's a whole kit of parts. And once you get out of your rhythm and you get off of your rhythm, you're off. And so there's bits of it, and I, and I, I, I shiver with a coldness when I sometimes I watch it back. It, it's fixed. I don't know what, which, which version the BBC showed over the weekend because I didn't see it, but I know on the DVD version that went out, we managed to fix it. Not a huge number of fixes, I have to say, but a couple of key, but a couple of key fixes, yeah. But that's where the professional, that's where the professional's always so self-critical <laughs> and the public are loving it and they never notice it. Jonathan said to me before we started, that the extras had earpieces as well. How many of them had earpieces? I think, again, the way these things are usually done is that a lot of them have earpieces because they're all being choreographed, you know. And again, there's these mass, the mass choreography team, you know. Um, I would say nearly all of them probably had earpieces oh, in. And, yeah, everyone yeah, I saw yeah. had wow. earpieces you know, in. And they're all on different circuits. So, you know, you have, yeah. the, you know, you have the drummers on circuit A and they've got their kind of cheerleader going, OK, and beat. Beat, beat, beat. You know, oh, and you know, you've got, okay, grass team B. Okay, grass team B, go, 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 you know, and stand by the archers on C. And, you know, it's crazy. All these, okay, you know, clear as go now, you know, um, and um, smelters go now, and, you know, chimney flyers go now. And you're all on different circuits, you know, chimney come down now. Stand by <laughs> queen. <laughs> yes, exactly. And queen go, um, you know. Um, that was that was a crazy moment, I've got to say. And again, you know, a, an example of um, blind belief from somebody like Danny. You know, I remember him sitting in a meeting, and I'm not going to say who was at the meeting, but he said, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to get the Queen to jump in a helicopter, and she's going to arrive at the event and jump out, the, jump out the helicopter with James Bond. 
And the original plan was she's going to get, we're going to get the two young princes to fly the helicopter. Obviously, it's going to be a pre-record. La la, I hate to blow everybody's, it was a pre-record. Um, you know, <laughs> the Queen didn't really jump. Anyway, no. so, and you know, so he's in, we're in this meeting, and as I say, I'm not going to say who to, and honestly, there were people sniggering. People, maybe people who, you know, anyway, there were people sniggering. Uh, below their hands, you know, at this mad guy from the north of England. And he's like, you know, so I was like, whoa, that's bold, man. You, you, I mean, Danny Boyle's got, he's got balls of steel. Anyway, he, um, he, he put out this vision. I'm going to get the Queen to jump out of a helicopter with James Bond. And I'm like, whoa, here we go. A lot of people thought he wasn't going to do it. Then, um, you know, I was there the day he disappeared to the palace and, um, you know, comes back. She's going to do it. And I'm like, whoa, here we go. And apparently the condition was that she would do it as long as nobody knew what the colour of her dress was. So obviously it was pre-recorded long in advance and only a couple of people knew what colour her dress was going to be because if somebody, if they found out what colour her dress would be, she would, she said she wouldn't jump or be in the show, who knows. But anyway, so remarkable. And I have to say, the moment, one of those moments, lots of different moments during it, but I remember walking into the edit suite because we created a previs of the whole show, what we wanted it to look like in an ideal world. And, um, you know, I, I saw the scene where Daniel Craig was interacting with Her Majesty and I'm like, I had a tear in my eye. I'm like, I cannot believe He's done it. You know what I mean? They were in the room at Buckingham Palace was 007 and Her Majesty the Queen. I'm like, whoa, fair play to you. <laughs> but why didn't Wills and Harry fly the, fly the helicopter? Oh, that's a, that's a miss. Probably, yeah, probably health and safety. I don't, know. I don't know. People remember one thing. They're only, let's say they're only allowed to remember one thing. That's probably what they remember, don't they? Oh, the Queen jumping out of a plane. It's not a bad one thing to be remembered for, is it? No, no, it's not. No, uh, no, it's not at all. But I mean, that was so difficult trying to get because obviously, you know, the stuntman um, who unfortunately sadly passed away, um, the stuntman that who, you know, but lining all that up and getting the stunt to work was like, oh my goodness, we've got a stunt helicopter, we've got a filming helicopter. It's just like, oh, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Is yeah, it's just like, whoa, please make this pressure go away. And thankfully, it did. I mean, Hamish, I, uh, we said at the beginning of this, and uh, I was talking to Claire Balding, I said, if I had to play Desert Island Olympic moments from 2012, I, I've got a dead heat between Super Saturday and the opening ceremony. And I didn't think I'd ever say that about an opening ceremony, but it was just, it blew my mind and made me, oh, it made me proud yeah. and it made me laugh. It, mm. and it, uh, and that's, yes. and that, it yeah. made me laugh and that's great. So thank you. Great. But do you know what? Super no, but Super Saturday again. That was another benefit, you know, because I had my, uh, I had a, a pass, and obviously I needed to be there on Super Saturday because obviously I was doing key research for the closing. <laughs> of course zone. you were. Yeah. Um, of course. <laughs> but my goodness, I have been in so many crowds through my career, and I've been, some, I've seen some incredible gigs with artists at the absolute tip, 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 tip top. But the roar of the crowd. You know, when, you know, British athletes were turning the corner, you know, oh, my. I have never felt so emotionally moved as I did being part of that crowd. They must have, must have taken seconds off people's times, added metres to people's jumps. It was a 
astounding. I mean, oh, that was the greatest crowd I have ever been in. And I have been in some amazing crowds in the time, you know, some crowds with U2 in South America. And, oh, but no, Super Saturday ranks there as the most emotional crowd ever by a long way. Great place to finish. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Hamish. Pure, pure, pure passion. No, pleasure is all mine. Good luck with it all. Thank you. So there we are. There we are, Pugas. <laughs> what a thing to have on your seat. I mean, he's got a lavish CV, but undoubtedly that's near the top. And I feel bad about not, not asking him about the closing ceremony because he did that as well. Mm. But it's a sign of how great the opening ceremony was that that is what people will always remember. I might just have a headache thinking about what he must have been through. I mean, you have and I have. I've been in loads of TV galleries where it's all going off. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's all pretty fraught. And um, these people are unbelievably skilled and good at staying calm under pressure. But that pressure, you know, when you're going... To the world, and obviously, you know, with a UK audience particularly in mind, and the the choreography and the order and the cuts that needs to happen is is just it's off the scale in its complexity, isn't it? And I yes. think um, now that we've spoken to him, I'm going to I'm going to sit down and watch it again through his eyes, yeah, as it were. Yes, I, yes. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see the glitch. Anyway, he said it'd been edited out. I don't think you'd have noticed it at home anyway. No, I just think not. it was fascinating to hear the whole build-up and the whole planning to it and obviously particularly the bit with the Queen and the bit that you and I love as well with Rowan Atkinson um, I, I just thought it was absolutely riveting I hope people enjoy listening to Hamish yeah. so Boogers thank you very much pleasure we'll uh, hear from you again I mean that was absolutely brilliant wasn't it I mean, that was great it was uh, a little left field in terms of what we have been doing on this series but sport's all about emotion isn't it sport's all about how it makes us feel that's what we've been trying to get across in this series and I think the London 2012 opening ceremony is hard to beat in that regard. So make sure you subscribe now if you've missed any of the episodes so far, and we'll see you next time on Sport in the Field. Sport in the Field is a 9419 independent production. In association with Aldi UK, the official supermarket partner of Team GB.